Welcome to an American Conversation podcast, a podcast about a comedian, a feminist, and two Republicans meeting in different bars every week to discuss what the hell is happening in America today. Each week, we deliver gripping news and information with the understanding that as Americans, we can agree to disagree and laugh while doing it. Revelation. Leland, Rose, and David, and Jeff are not experts, although Rose thinks she is. Listen in every week. Be that fly on the wall. All right. Hi. Once again, these three fools are in a bar. Hi, guys. Hi, Rose. How you doing? Good. Um, Leland, do you remember when we went to Barnes & Noble? Yes. And got that book? Yes. That I wanted you to read? Yes. Did you? It was it? a good book. It was I an loved awesome it. book. Did you make her read it? No. I, I did make her read it. <laughs> I sent it to David to read, and he did not. Hey, but lame. I, I read about the author. Boy, she's something. Yeah, right. she's, she's Phyllis. Phyllis. Phyllis yeah. Chesler. Yeah. She's a real feminist. I thought my mom was a feminist, she's, but this woman makes my mom look like a man lover. <laughs> she's hardcore, man. Okay, guys, I have a surprise for you. What's your surprise? I've been in contact with her. Oh no! Oh no! No! Uh, no! Not buying drinks. Oh, you're no, in contact with right. Phyllis Chesler. I'm in contact with her, and we're going to call her tonight. What? And interview her. Are you serious? I'm dead right serious. Now? Right and now. She's going to. She's okay with that. She's okay with it. Prove ah! it. I'm excited. All right. Prove it. Get All right. Let me call her. Okay. Uh, okay. Hold on. All right. Hold on. We're going to call her. What? 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 <laughs> dial the phone. All right. We're going to dial the phone. So. Oh, I didn't realize it. She's totally legit, man. This is going to be awesome. <gasps> oh, I hear the Skype sound. That's Rose, awesome. this is amazing. Oh. <gasps> Hello. Hi. So, guys, introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Leland Heflin. And, Phyllis, I just read your book. I was very impressed. And I grew up with a single mom who was a big-time feminist She's passed away now, but I would love to learn more about it. And thank, thank you, and I'm sorry for your loss. Hi, Phyllis. This is Dave Palumbo. I'm part of the podcast. And Hi. It's very nice to meet you. Uh, I'm here, really, because I'm part of the cast. However, I'm very interested in learning. I've been reading about you, and it's, it's quite impressive. And I'm looking forward to learning more about you, specifically in the feminist movement in general. So thanks okay. for thanks for joining us. And okay. Phyllis, when I was in grad school, um, I got a master's in social work. I used your book, Women and Madness, as a source. So I'm a big fan. I'll tell you a funny anecdote. Uh, recently, it's been uh, issued as an audio book. And the woman who read it said to me, Oh, how amazing and relevant and timely this is. Unbelievable, you know, right on the pulse of the moment. How did you do that? And I said, oh, dear, <laughs> I'm very depressed. And she goes, what do you mean? I'm complimenting you. And I said, yes, but I wrote it 50 years ago. And I had hoped in my youth, foolish myself, that by now womankind, mankind would have evolved a bit more. It was a it was a very poignant moment, and wow. I then assured her that I appreciated her compliments and her interest and etc. 
It sounds like a book. This is Leland. It sounds like a book that I'm going to need to read because I deal with a lot of mental illness in my family. And so I'm interested in finding out what you have to say. I had a great deal to say a long time ago. And now, uh, you know, most families have some issue of mental illness. And we now see that as a society, we have a huge issue. And law and punishment is not going to solve it. And freeing people who used to be... uh, institutionalized and tormented and not really helped fine so we had a deinstitutionalization movement but now you see more and more people hallucinating on the streets true not yeah. getting help not getting shelter not getting any helpful treatment one wonders the pendulum did swing but how is this better is it better it's not better it's not yeah so both extremes are bad and there has been a revolution in biological psychiatry and many people have been helped with pills but politicals from the get-go did not want to take meds and you know there's all kinds of soul-shattering consequences to some meds for some people but still you know taking meds and being a little bit deflated from a high may not be as bad as attempting suicide. True. I agree with that 100%. So do I. Yeah. Well, Phyllis, why don't we go back to your book, The Politically Incorrect Feminist? Okay. Um, One of the things that shocked me reading it was all the drama with the women, Uh, which is connected to your, your other book, The Inhumanity to Women, which I want to read next. Well, you know, to be fair, the dramas of women like men um, internalizing sexism and in addition being allowed to be competitive and aggressive mainly towards other women. Our problem is no one told us this. We were not prepared. We didn't acknowledge it. Most hotly denied it as they as mean bees in the world and in the feminist movement too, trashed each other, uh, betrayed each other. We didn't know that previous waves of feminism, of, of great feminists, had suffered political differences just as we were. And maybe they took it as personally. We, we took everything the way girls do personally. Not, oh, well, we have a difference of opinion. Let's try to be civil. Let's work for what we want without totally sullying and dishonoring and uh, ostracizing. That's one of the things I found in Women's Inhumanity to Woman. And this is not true of just feminists or, or radical revolutionaries, is the way in which ostracism is used as a powerful social control tool by women or by the powerless and you, you don't think men do that? Not not to that degree. Or oh, at least I think I think men come right to your face with a dagger and they kill you. To yeah. Your face. <laughs> sure. <Okay>. And <laughs> when that happens, none of them take it that personally. That is true. I I'll give you an example. When my son was about eight or nine, he would come home after school with a little gang of boys and they'd go to the backyard where they would run around, whoop, holler, and hit each other. 
And the first time that happened, I thought, oh, well, they'll never be back. And of course, the next day they were back to do it again. And I saw at the same time, girls on that block, they developed one best friend. And then one day, that very best friend was disappeared, replaced by another new best friend. And that's when it dawned upon me, oh my God, there is hard wiring to contend with, not just socialization. That is true. And that's a big no-no. That's one of the hundred reasons I'm politically incorrect. Because there's a narrative among gender-neutral feminists, among a variety of different kinds of noble enough feminists, that dictates that there is no such thing as biology. Uh, Men and women have no differences at all. I don't agree with that. That's why we deserve equality. That's not the reason we deserve equality. Exactly. But that's that's a politically correct narrative and if you depart from it and i loved how you described the kind of conversation that that you want to have if you depart from the whatever the politically correct narrative is depending on the company you're keeping you are out and people in america increasingly are silent they self-censor they don't speak their hearts or their minds because when they do, they lose their friends, they lose their relatives, uh, they lose their jobs, they can't get They lose their spouses. Yeah, spouses. Yes, yes. So, and the number of subjects that are forbidden, absolutely forbidden, range, I mean, certainly in certain company, if you're not for prostitution, otherwise known as sex work. I disagree with that view, but, you know, one can discuss it. Uh, you're out. Yeah. And if you challenge the transgender triumph, you're out. You are then deplatformed, disinvited, um, harassed, heckled, or, or you, um, if you publish in either too liberal a venue or in too conservative a venue, and those across the aisle get wind of it, they will not talk to you anymore and they won't read what you've written. If you write about Israel, about Judaism, about Jew hatred, otherwise known as anti-Semitism, or if you write about Islam, you're in big trouble. You can't talk about it. People yell, they scream, or they cut you off. Can you tell us why you think that is? Because I agree with everything you're saying, including the gender neutral thing. I, I, I don't agree with, with a lot of that. But why is that happening? Is it just the pendulum is going um, swinging right or left or what's going on? To my great sorrow, I think we see the rise of a post Orwellian fascism a totalitarian thought control and it's not coming from the white patriarchy or conservative white men where who I cannot talk my whole heart with about abortion for example Um, it is coming from the Muslim world and it's coming from the progressive so-called progressive Western intelligentsia which have been taught carefully for 60 years or more to blame only the West 
four crimes of imperialism, colonialism, slavery, oppression, domination, patriarchy. So not knowing, not wanting to know that Muslim countries have engaged in vast imperialist ventures, converted via the sword, have been colonial powers, engaged in religious and gender apartheid, and many countries for a very long time, Muslim countries, and still today, use black slaves. Now, I'm not saying, oh, let's just blame Muslims. Absolutely not. This seems to be a human evil that if we wish to deal with it or or call it out or end it, we have to be even-handed. What's going on among including Western feminists who now have the opportunity to weigh in on issues of honor killing and female genital mutilation uh, and all kinds of honor-based violence, including polygamy and child marriage, they're not because to do so, they would be accused of being racists and defamed. So when the world, when the globe needs feminist visionary and radical ideas and activism, the Western feminists have turned tail and run in the name of virtue signaling. Well, you must not have a whole lot of friends in the modern progressive movement. Ah, uh, you think so, huh? <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, yes, I do think so, but I think you should be very proud of that. I am, I am. But there's a kind of sorrow because these were uh, women, not men, they were mainly women who I fought many honorable battles with. And now they seem, or their descendants also seem, to be made of different stuff and are not honoring a post-Enlightenment Western civilization, but instead seem to be embracing suicide and death and barbarism. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it is, one cannot look at evil and really understand it in rational terms. And I think the, I mean, if anyone has been following uh, the feminist movement, which I praise in the opening sections of a politically incorrect feminist. And I mean, it gave me the, it allowed me to construct and to stand on the shoulders of others who were also constructing feminist reality. All of the sexual harassment, which had no name, and the rapes, and the incest, and the domestic battery, and the unemployment of the non-employment, the under, the wages that were below par, all of the scorn and slights that were part of, you know, female life that had no name, suddenly it became clear to us. And we were so empowered and filled with joy and with foolish hope that we would change the entire world in a decade. Yeah. In a a decade. And of course, we eventually came to realize it's going to be the rest of our lives and it won't be the entire world, not even our own world. And and a lot of the feminist, as I say in the book, a lot of the radical feminist ideas at their best were disappeared within a decade. So the At Me Too movement, which is a digitally empowered and wondrous rising up, 
uh, for some, not for most, uh, might have taken place continuously or much sooner if our early activism and works had been part of the feminist canon in universities. It was not. Phyllis, why do you, why do you say some but not all? Uh, some but not all that well, are you know taking to the Me Too movement because that's you know what we oh well because we don't know the unnamed foremen in factories and we don't know the agricultural workers who will be threatened with death and loss and the death of their children if they bring charges. We're only reading about high-profile men who have insurance policies like Harvey Weinstein does apparently. And we're reading about hot shots, name guys, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hollywood, Wall Street. I have not read yet, uh, maybe, uh, I've missed it, uh, union bosses and factory foremen worldwide. I mean, can you imagine in a country like India or Afghanistan or Pakistan, what happens to a woman when she alleges rape? They kill her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her family kills her. The police won't help her. Uh, I mean, thousands of reports like this. And I've done four studies about honor killing, which I don't really go into in a politically incorrect feminist because the publisher wanted the highlights of the best of the early moments. Yeah. And a little bit of the 21st century. But you want to know why? Why? Because my work in the 21st century was deemed politically incorrect, too politically incorrect for a book of that title. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's these what, days, isn't that the exact point? Yeah, the, these <laughs> days publishing is crazy. I'll give you an example. This manuscript had a chapter on, I, you know, huh. of... I'm black, I'm white, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm, you know, it, and this will tell you who I am. Who I sleep with will tell you who I am. And I finally said, no, it won't tell you who I am. Like Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes. And if you look for me, just me, you might find me in my books, but then I won't be there anymore because I'll be on to another book. So this idea of trapping identity in one box is so foolish, so dangerous, so fanatical. And yet that's what's going on in feminism today, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but the the you're talking about um what do they call that? A politic um identity, identity politics. politics. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Yes. But the thing is is that this country was based on taking over somebody else's land, enslaving Africans, and it was a white country. And that's all we saw was white, 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 white. So now that people of color have some power, some identity. White men. We, wait a minute, we saw only white men. White men, exactly. Yeah. But white women did um, benefit from that, right? No, no, but what you say we saw, I was thinking immediately you meant that the textbooks, the history books, the movies and the television programs showed us mainly heroic white men. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're going beyond that and you're talking about the actual genocide of Native Indians uh, and uh, horrible, horrifying. And, it's you know, to America's credit, though, 
uh, before you get carried away with the intersectionality reality of life. We did fight a civil war. We did abolish African slavery. Um, most other countries in the world did not, have not, to this day. So on the one hand, I mean, I was once uh, held captive in Kabul, Afghanistan. I married somebody from there and I didn't intend to stay. And I have a book about it called An American Bride in Kabul. And when I came back to America, <laughs> I kissed the ground at Idlewild Airport. That was before it was renamed Kennedy Airport. And I said, ah, the land of libraries and liberty. And indeed, I walked into my fate as a woman, which included all of the second, third class citizenship you can imagine, not fourth class citizenship. And um, so there are differences, even though there is so much to improve and so much to criticize about the American enterprise. Go and live in Kabul for five months and tell me which country you would prefer to live in. Yeah, but we can't say that to an African-American family, you know, six generations of slavery, then Jim Crow. No, no, but wait, 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 wait. Did you or I participate in the slave years? Or are you saying that we've been the beneficiaries, ultimately, eventually? Beneficiaries. Have a higher, yeah, a higher standard of living or more opportunities and therefore we should contemplate various kinds of givebacks or reparations that's something we can talk about for sure but we can't we can't hold ourselves guilty for the past when we were not alive yeah no agreed but reparations and Corrections haven't been made in this country, and I think we're in the crux of it right now. Well, let's talk about African-American women, okay? because I see a lot of talking about African-American men, police violence about African-American men. I don't see much talking or doing about African-American women who are drug mules, who are in jail for too long a time, who lose custody of their kids, uh, whom they were taking care of. Uh, nobody visits them. Nobody marries them in jail. If they kill their batterer in self-defense, it's over for them. Yeah. But yeah. that's true for white women as well. Absolutely. So my first response or thought is that if we're talking about the oppression of people of color, beginning with African-Americans, but not ending with them, I want to start with the women. Because even in the women in madness days, I think I have an anecdote. A woman came to see me and uh, she wanted to begin writing to people in prison. And I said, that's a wonderful idea. And she goes, but I want to write to the men only. I said, well, why not to the women? And she goes, oh, they're less interesting. Nice. <laughs> and no, no. So I think, alas, and all of the Innocence Project, which I approve of totally, it has to do with DNA, false rape accusations, and freeing men of color. Yeah, yeah. I don't see a lot of stuff going down about freeing women of color. Now, you might be thinking of endemic poverty, but endemic poverty affects p 
people of all colors. Does it not? Am I wrong? You're right. So where does this lead? The sort of lead with the intersectionality uh, rhetoric, because what do we do? What can we do? Do, do you think, for, and this is a real question, um, Jane Fonda is going to get arrested over climate. Okay, as if she's starring in a movie. All right, it's not a movie, though. What can we do? What do we have to do? Not just put a 16-year-old on the cover of Time. What can we really do about climate? Which, friends assure me, is very major. Other friends tell me, nah, no, it's not scientifically proven. Some say, oh, the lions are extinct practically. I am not a climate scientist. I like to think for myself. I don't want to follow the, I don't want to be a sheep following somebody else who, who's basically engaging in uh, hysterics or rhetoric or propaganda. I'm not an expert in this area. So what does it mean if I go and get arrested over the issue? Well, I think we're living in a time where media sells, celebrity sells. We have a president that is a reality TV actor. He's a, yeah, reality yeah. star. And that's what yeah. sells. Yes. I mean, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram. Your publisher said, you know, you can't do this because this sells. Yeah, but what about the truth, right? What about the yeah, science? The, what about the, the facts? Correct, correct, correct. The truth is no longer marketable the truth is no longer a defense you tell the truth on certain subjects and you'll find yourself defamed exactly. not exciting enough. not heroized and uh i don't go along with this none of us should Agreed. by the way I, I i'm very little on twitter i admit it not on instagram at all although apparently someone has set up an account in my name you're not uh, missing anything. <laughs> no, no. I, I would love for everybody to turn Twitter off just because of what's going on. I I'm going to get on Twitter so I can follow Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, you won't find what, me there. What the little you said. Oh, you said you did a little. A, well, what I'll do is I'll post a link to a latest article of mine. Uh, or I'll okay. post a link to somebody else's thoughtful article. I don't use it as a forum to split to sort of dump on people. That's another thing. The lack of civility is so awful. The willingness to scream, yell, curse, hit people with whom you disagree. It's one step to a civil war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is not a good thing. Not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Um, I think you should get out there on Twitter. You've got, with what you have to say, and you could really do something. The, like the modern day, like progressive, and the ones that espouse, you know, feminism, you know, re, you know, equal this, equal that. And they're, based on what you're saying, they're totally missing the boat. It would well, like, I would love to see some truth out on uh, Twitter. Oh, uh, if you go to my website, phyllis-chesla.com you'll see very fiery feminist works coupled with works that are that have been characterized as conservative works and yeah i work both sides of the aisle so to speak i follow the moment the reality the depth level of something and i'll give you a, an example i don't know I, it's not in the book 
I wrote about what I called gender cleansing in the Sudan in 2004. And it was the public gang raping repeatedly of girls and women in Sudan by ethnic Arab Muslims. And mainly they were, the victims were mainly black women and girls. And it was horrendous, horrendous stuff. And I thought, well, it is gender cleansing. It's meant to drive the woman out of her mind, to torment her for the very rest of her life. Uh, chances are feminist therapy is not fully available, you know, in the desert in Sudan. So I wrote this piece and I sent it to certain feminists. And of course I published it at a conservative website because what I had to say, beginning with the rise of Jew hatred, wasn't palatable, it wasn't wanted in all of my old, trendy, liberal and feminist haunts. So I said, what do you think of this piece? And the response was shocking and saddening. We don't want to read it because of where you published it. And I said, yeah, but read it. I said, if you want to get me into the New York Times to say what I want to say, fine. I don't care where I publish. Only that I do so. And that no one changes a line I write. Of course, they wouldn't read it. And no, they couldn't get me back into the liberal. What used to be liberal has become very left wing and extremely so. And... Otherwise, why do you think that happened, Phyllis? Because it, it, I agree with you. It is there. The, the modern day left is like totally out there. Yeah, like the modern day right isn't. Of course, it's the same. But, but, uh, well, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. The, the two extremes are dangerous in different ways. They're not the same. The how do you see it as the same? Just, I mean. They're both silencing, they're both, yeah, that's about it, the silencing of the truth. Well, but I've been able to write about honor killing, and the victims are always girls and women, and of color, and worldwide, in conservative venues, but really not in feminist or left-wing venues, and I've tried, because... This work is viewed as racist and as anti-Muslim men. Well, what am I to say? Or the FGM issue. Um, well, feminists do care about that. And I did publish uh, an important piece at a very amazing uh, abolitionist feminist journal site called Dignity. Um, but a lot of conservative men who may be, and women who may be against abortion, for example, uh, are against FGM and against prostitution and against pornography uh, and challenge and question the entire I am whoever I feel I am inside and if you don't treat me as if I'm a tall Japanese samurai warrior and I'm a short woman then I'll sue you or I'll defame you that entire um, so conservatives are similar to radical abolitionist feminists on certain issues including but surrogacy but not on abortion. But the thing is, you know what it reminds me of? I'm anti-porn. Um, and there was a, a woman in my classroom 
who was also anti-porn, but she was a conservative. But the reasons we were anti-porn were different. She said it was a moral issue, and I said it's a violence against women issue. So we can connect with the conservative, but yes. the, the bottom, the, the background reasons are very different. So let's say with the transgender thing, I agree with you, Phyllis, but the, the reason they don't like it is they don't like anything that's different, period. We, our reasons are- When you are, say they, you mean the conservative? Yes, I mean you, David, personally. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we should try very hard not to divide people up into us and them. No, it's, agreed. It's hard. We kid around all the time. Here in the podcast, all we do is make fun of each other. And, yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's all in good fun. Yeah, it's all in good all right. fun. Okay. I'm not as crazy continue. as they make me out to be. <laughs> well, you know, but you know, in a sense, if you see porn as, a, as I see prostitution as the most extreme form, of violence against women, creating a killing field, work, so-called work uh, zones, and short shelf lives and early deaths. Um, and if someone else says, you know, that's not moral to do that, there's common ground. No, there is. There, there is, but... So um, what's wrong with the feminists who we agree with on reproductive rights and on equal economic rights and a whole host of other issues when they say no i think if we oppose porn that it will interfere with free speech which is not true but that's the argument i or, agree i agree yeah. or or prostitution is merely sex work and if a woman has to feed herself and her two kids and has no other way to do it who are you to stop her yeah well, she's not the problem, of course. It's the Johns and the Pimps who are the problem. Exactly. And it, the issue is male lust and male hatred of woman's humanity and woman's biology. Uh, and those issues are not being addressed um, by those who say, hey, yeah, sex work, let's go. And Phyllis, those just so you know, Rose, Rose just pointed at me. She pointed it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, you yes. mean with a threatening <laughs> No, gesture? with like, oh, she's talking about you. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. I was I'm making just, a joke. Oh. About, we're just kidding around. We you know, said the lust of men, the, the lust, lust of, of men. men. I like, said, well. I, I, I plead guilty, but I'm not uh, a well, proponent no, the, of porn the, the or prostitution. Let me, let me rephrase it. The unbridled, <laughs> <laughs> aggressive lust among men. You know, that is why... In the Bible, we had the flood. If you do a close reading of it in Hebrew, it's very clear that what pissed God off to the max is every man, the high, the hotshot men, taking any woman they wanted. And God said, I'm not going to keep wrestling with this human creature like this, who is only flesh and blood. Not going to do it going to wipe them out so it was a very early strong indication that there is something deeply immoral about rape agreed which people don't quite see and you know as we all know as feminists know uh just because they've just because there's tv programs uh galore and studies and legislation rape hasn't been abolished worse Rape kits across the country haven't been tested for 20 years. Worse, women who go to the police in New York City today, where I live, 
JL, come on, you know, you wanted it. How are you dressed? You let him on. You're misremembering it. Why do you want to ruin a good, a good man's life? Exactly. This has not gotten better. I don't know what we have to do. Phyllis, I, I was a social worker at Mount Sinai Hospital, um, the rape treatment center. Mm. And I used to go out and teach police officers on how to treat a victim. And I encountered all of that. God, and this was in the 90s. That's hard to believe. I, I don't, I mean, I oh, understand, it, it, I understand it. it's happening, but I mean, that, yeah. that's just amazing that, that would, that'll actually go on. Uh, it's going just, on uh, right now today because a woman, a lawyer, been working in uh, as a prosecutor, uh, wants to found, uh, and she was working in San Francisco and New York, and she found this police refusal to treat rape victims with dignity or intelligence or move on their case. So this is happening, and I once taught police officers, and I love that. I, as a forensic psychologist, that was the course. They were wonderful, and this was in the late '80s, I believe, uh, at John Jay, a part of City University of New oh, York. Oh, my sister went there. Ah, no, no. So the fact you see, just this feminist knowledge, as I point out in a politically incorrect feminist is disappeared generation after generation. And Dale Spender wrote about this in Men of I Women of Ideas and What Men Have Done to Them. It's a wonderful, brilliant book. And as I said, I found it happening to the best minds of my feminist generation. We were not taught by the mid 1980s in American universities and what took our place were other concerns, post-colonialism, post-modernism, trans-imperialism, racism. Then eventually what began as women's studies, which I pioneered, morphed into gay and lesbian studies and then gay and lesbian, transgender, intersex, asexual studies, and uh, women's concerns, women's specific concerns really got lost. And what's what was seen as not just trendy, but cutting edge and most crucial was the matter of racism, which is an important matter. I mean, I interview women of color in Women in Madness and quote whatever I could lay my hands on and have continued to do so. And that's a whole other discussion. But all women, no matter what class and no matter what color and no matter what sexual preference and no matter where they live in the world, have certain common problems which no longer are apparently worth addressing. Not as much as other issues like climate change. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you, Phyllis. Transgenders are getting a lot of attention these days. One wonders yeah. why, because it has yeah. nothing to do with women. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Hey, so, any, uh, Phyllis, who do oh, you... In today's mod, like uh, uh, on the the modern scene today, who are the feminists we should look to to really understand what's going on? You know, of the prominent women or men in America, uh, you know, for you know, for me, for example, to look to, it's, it's really getting the message out and really addressing the issues of the feminists. 
or women in general? Well, you know, I I would go back to the classics, to the basics, which is missing from women's studies, which is now a ghetto. I would really start with Mary Wollstonecraft. Love her. And Lindsay- I would move I would move on quickly. I mean, uh, to John Stuart Mill. And then I would move on to um, Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own. And then I would move on to Simone de Beauvoir, um, The Second Sex. And then I would move on to the founding classics of the second wave. And that means Kate Millett and Shuley Firestone and uh, Susan Brown Miller, or even before that, to the writings, if you can find them, of the first, second, and third wave of radical women, the, the material uh, uh, that was printed, mimeographed, handed out, sold for a quarter, was incredible material. I stand on all those shoulders. I would look at Ellen Frankfurt's vaginal politics. I'd look at Barbara Seaman, who uh, really got the government in America to advise women on the birth control pill that, hey, this may kill you, you know, but if you want to take it, you know, blah, blah. A whole important story. And she founded, and I was one of the co-founders with her, of the National Women's Health Network. I would send you Dale Spender, Australian scholar, I would read Dale Spender, Women of Ideas and What Men Have Done to Them, before, well, and there's probably 15 other names I haven't, Andrea Dworkin, Lynn Farley, Catherine McKinnon, who came a little bit later. The, the second wave that I write about in Politically Incorrect Feminist is set really 67 to 75. Uh, I would read... Um, Joan Nessel and Barbara Love. I would read even Rita Mae Brown. I'm just thinking now of the, the lesbian feminist works. I would read Martha Shelley. And then, only then, and, and believe me, there's like 50 names I didn't give you because I didn't know you'd ask me this question. Um, I would then move on to what passes as feminism or what flies under the feminist flag and that is concerned more with transgender rights, gay and lesbian rights, queer rights, uh, black rights, people of color rights, and then you decide, you tell me what's feminism. I noticed that uh, although the list you gave was 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 quite lengthy do you do you see anybody in the kind of the uh the, you know the popular like either a, a, a cultural leader or a social leader or a political leader that would uh you know you, you would suggest that's somebody to look to that i wouldn't you would although i didn't name audrey lord who's really important she's great yeah and um no, I knew her, of course. Um, it, there's the, the point I'm making is that the modern media-created icons are made of different stuff. Even those that I've read that are zesty and have kick-ass attitude are not made of the same stuff that we were. Yeah. We, we had a 
moment in history. It was such a privilege to be alive and moving at that moment that has not yet come round again. So the second wave, as, as I've understood it to be, had three different streams. One was the former left-wing activists who left the left, but who've returned eventually, and who did all of the early demonstrations and sit-ins and mind-blowing stuff, like hexing Wall Street as witches. I mean, fanciful stuff, but dead serious stuff. And then there were the equivalent of the NAACP, but for women. That was the National Organization for Women, and they brought lawsuits, civil rights lawsuits, employment-related lawsuits, and a variety of, of such suits. And then there's the professions that were, that means in medicine, in science, in law, in electricians and plumbers. Women entered formerly all-male fields, astronauts, for example, later on and began to attempt to transform the professions. These are the three different streams of the second wave. And I swam in all three. So I understand the value of each one and don't, I don't have blinders on. I don't think, oh, it's, it's just the professions that would transform, like religion. It's all of it. And it's a work that still continues. And I could be wrong. I could be now fading into history. But I don't think the third wave, so-called, or the fourth wave, so-called, is with, and you're right, Rose, celebrity cells, uh, branding cells, virtue signaling cells. Yeah. I don't think that which sells is necessarily revolutionary. Oh, it, it, it's not. It, it just sells. I mean, it's like mass marketing. You know, it's like porn, just mass marketing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I wish, had I known that you were turning to me, and if you contact me privately, I will give you a good, in fact, one of my books, Letters to a Young Feminist, has, I put together a bibliography, and that was as of 1998, though, of what really needs to be read. And to understand what the feminists are talking about. Now, it may be time to, to compose another kind of bibliography. And I hesitate to say the names of those who, I don't want to badmouth anybody. <laughs> uh, certainly no one who's going to be carrying the torch long after I've left this world. They, they don't have the opportunity that we had. Uh, it, it's different. Rose, tell me what you think. Am I wrong? No, I, I agree with you. I think the somehow the young women or the new feminists have bought into this sexual freedom that mm. to mm. me just seems very patriarchal, that it doesn't seem authentic or originating from themselves. I yeah, see yeah, the kids yeah. uh, sort of clicking onto the Kardashian thing and thinking that is their form of oh, feminism. God. Exactly. See me yes, now, exactly. look yes, at me. Yes. And yes, exactly. I, I don't know what happened because, I mean, I kind of see it with my daughter. She's, you know, 16, and I'm hoping it's a phase because she was raised by me. But um, I, I do agree with you. There's something happening, and I don't like it, but I don't know how to 
engage her in a way that's meaningful, where she sees or hears what I'm saying. It's just not happening. Well, the entire culture is against you. This exactly. is what we feared precisely about the rise of pornography, that it would spread and spread, and it's virulent, and it went viral. And now you see preteen teeny bopper things walking dressed like prostituted girls yeah and they think that it's just all the rage and yes it's true older women have always looked askance at how younger women uh display themselves thinking that the world is their oyster that no harm could ever come to them yeah uh, just by the way i have to say parenthetically the way certain westerners go into the badlands of the East and think that they can do business or do journalism a la Danny Pearl and come out unscathed. These yeah. are dangerous places. I wouldn't go. Somebody invited me to speak in Iran the year after Kate Millett was invited, went and was arrested by Khomeini, but he let her go. And an Iranian friend said, oh, you understand the, the Muslim soul. You should come. I said, you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't even come with a platoon of Marines. Uh, good for it's you. Yeah. too dangerous. <laughs> we have to, and that's one thing that I've come to understand reluctantly but clearly that we're at war. And yes, the issue, and, and Islam is not a race, it's a religion or it's an ideology, really. It's a totalitarian ideology. And there are many, many um, Muslims who don't really know what it is and who are very nice people, but so too. And there are many Muslim dissidents with whom I work and ex-Muslim dissidents. But just as we look back at Nazi Germany, we say, well, there were good Germans, you know, who didn't hate gypsies or politicals or Jews or the rest of the world. But they didn't do enough to stop Hitler. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the important thing to keep our eye on is not the evildoers. They're easy to spot. But those who either uh, cooperate with them or collaborate with them or are too afraid to risk popularity or money or their lives for the sake of doing good on earth. The bystanders, that's a huge problem. And I've been thinking about it and writing about it and looking at it and most, including, including what I write about in Politically Incorrect Feminist about how when women are raped or sexually harassed, other women on the job or in the movement will take uh, will take advantage of that and buddy up with the rapist in the same way that incest families have mothers ostracizing the little girl who's been, who's saying, daddy is doing this to me. That is so true. They, that is they so don't true. Wanna, yeah, they don't want to lose the paycheck. They don't like girls. They're a girl to the mother. So I see that the way in which... It's, so Harvey Weinstein is not the only problem. There are all of the women who looked the other way, who took the money and allowed him to continue to prey upon the most vulnerable and the most desperately ambitious for careers. And we see that in the world in general and we see it in the feminist movement as well. And I write about it in this book. So Phyllis, have you been accused of being Islamic phobic? Oh, yes, yes, I mean, yes. Because the modern day left would rip you to pieces on that. 
let them try. Yeah. Well, they would, yes. They would, I, let me rephrase. They would try. I, I have no yeah. doubt that you'd kick their, you know what. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's so ironic. I'm here, I submit affidavits to American judges on behalf of mainly women of color, mainly Muslim women of color, who are in flight from being killed by their families who are also Muslims of color. And it's based on my research. How can you say really that I'm an Islamophobe? And yet, if you are a sloppy thinker and a herd thinker and a consummate conformist, which is what I wrote about in Women in Madness, I said, please learn not just to tolerate difference, but to celebrate it in every sense of the word. Too many so-called professors and journalists and human rights activists and the entire United Nations, this is how they've become. They're not thinking clearly. They're thinking with anger, and they're just following whatever the propaganda has led them to believe. Yeah. Well, yeah, why don't the people these days recognize that? Because you, you say anything close to what you just talked about, and you are immediately a racist, an Islamophobe, you know. It goes yeah. to the extreme. But... Oh, well, you know, I just hosted an evening for a woman from Austria, Elizabeth Sabatich Wolf, who wrote a book titled Truth is No Defense. The bottom line is she dared to say that the prophet Muhammad, in sleeping with a nine-year-old girl whom he married when she was six, apparently, guess what would we call that? I guess we call that a pedophile. Well, she was sued for defaming a recognized religion in Austria. And she was, and she appealed the decision which went against her, and she lost in the Austrian Supreme Court. And she then took it to the Court of European Human Rights, where she again lost. Wow. Okay, and I can tell you of the such cases. Remember Oriana Falacci from Italy, who was sued in France, Switzerland, and Italy. And then, of course. To the best of our collective memories, we have Salman Rushdie. He wrote a novel, which I haven't read, The Satanic uh, Verses. Verses. And he, a fatwa gets put on his head. That means a religious ruling to kill him on sight. And that has a chilling effect. And that chilling effect is felt all over America. There was a, a book that Yale University Press published on the Danish Mohammed cartoons and uh, written by a woman named Jitta Clausen. Guess what? They left out the cartoons. They didn't tell the author. This intimidation is something that we must stand up to. The, I mean, I've been writing now for the entire 21st century about the stoning of women and the honor killing of women. This seems to me to be huge feminist subject areas but for this work indeed i've been accused of being a racist islamophobe i mean i've written by the way about hindu honor killings as well but they seem to only take place in india they don't they, they don't cross the oceans when indians come here as refugees or immigrants or workers only when Muslims do now, and to a lesser extent, Sikhs. Yeah, yeah. 
Phyllis, this is not a feminist subject? Yeah. It is. Yeah, well, so how how politically incorrect am I? I, to me, you're fine. I, I, Phyllis, I, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Are you going to make an honest woman of me? or just? Uh, <laughs> I found that amazing. You're talking to you today, I have to say. That well, was something. I, le- I, I learned a lot, and I'm encouraged for the feminist movement. I, I have to tell Phyllis, thank though. You. Thank Phyllis, you, you and yeah. I, remember I said in one of our emails that we have a lot in common. My mother... Yes. is Puerto Rican. My father is an Austrian Jew. And, huh. yes. and yes. you know, I was created and or made in New York City in Manhattan. <laughs> and your relationship with your mother was very similar to mine. So that's really? the extent of our, I'm not, I wish I was uh, as highly educated and as smart as you. But yeah, oh. that's what we have in common. I see that. I see Rose's wheels turning, Phyllis. You well, got no, her no, thinking no. Mothers, you're going you're gonna to make a real not- feminist out of her. You know what? You want to read Woman's and Humanity to Woman. There are three chapters there on mother-daughter relationships because it took at least three chapters. And even though there are myths and fairy, even in fairy tales, the stepmother is really the dark side of one's own mother or the shadow side of one's own mother. Yeah, exactly. And women prefer boys because they've been trained to do so and because boys may take better care of them in their old age girls marry out and they're gone although the reality is very diverse it's not always quite like that but mothers are capable of enormous cruelty to daughters no yes i mean to sons in a different way um so look mothers of a certain generation they led lesser lives they could have run small countries but they were not given the opportunity and add centuries of persecution and anxiety that could even be genetically or culturally transmitted and they're going to be on edge and they're going to be nasty you know yeah. oppression doesn't lead to niceness or trauma there was there was a lot of trauma in my my mother's side um yeah 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 no i'm going to definitely i have the book i'm going to read it i'm going to recommend it to these guys hopefully they'll read it but Phyllis, it was amazing having you on. I mean, you're an icon. I don't, I don't want to put you in the ground yeah. yet, but a legend. Um, oh God! <laughs> even though you're still oh alive. God, no, no. Um, <laughs> but maybe in the future, if you if you want to talk some more, we would love to have you on. Um, okay. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really okay, appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for joining thank us, you Phyllis. All. Very good conversation. I thank you. Very thank nice. You. Thank all you. Thank right. you, Phyllis. Said, all right. Thank you. Nice to meet you all. Same here. Same, Same here. here. Talk all to right. you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Join us every week for our entertaining and informational time. And if you want to suggest a topic for our show or just want to know more about us, go to our website, www.anamericanconversationpodcast.com and comment away. We will try to respond as soon as possible. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and subscribe to our podcast.